Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. The story is told of tribes which used to roam through the land now called Russia. One particular tribe had a leader who was known to be very powerful. He was physically very strong, but also he was well known for his great wisdom. His word was absolute law in the tribe. A problem arose in the tribe, though, that someone was stealing things. He demanded that the stealing stop or punishment would be decreed. The stealing continued, so he established a punishment of so many lashes with a whip. The stealing continued. The punishment increased and increased until finally when the thief was caught, many of them did not survive through the beating. Then one day another, another thief was caught, but it turned out to be the mother of the great leader. She'd certainly die under such a beating, but he had given his word. A date was set and the tribe began to debate whether he would break his own law because of his great love for his mother. The day came. He ordered his mother to be brought forward. She was tied to the whipping pole, and the whipmaster was called. The great leader demanded that the punishment begin. Before he gave the final command, though, he stepped down from his royal place, took off his garment, stepped over to where his mother was. He extended himself across her to cover her back with his And then he said, let the beating begin. And he took on his back that which would have caused her death. He took her punishment so that she might live. And that is the way it is with our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are guilty sinners. We deserve the punishment and judgment of God because of our sins. But out of his love for us, He stepped down from His throne to this world. He extended Himself upon the cross and He took our punishment. He faced the judgment of God against our sins and paid sin's penalty and punishment for us. And when we trust Him, that He died for our sins and rose again, we are saved from all of our sins and we are given the gift of eternal life. We have been looking at broken things in the Bible. We've seen how we live in a broken, sin-cursed world and how we are each broken and have broken God's law and sinned. These broken things are the result of sin and Christ's body was broken as a result of sin. But by the cross and His broken body, He paid our sin debt in full and He makes us whole. And He makes us new in Him when we trust what He did for us. 1 Corinthians 11.23 reads, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which He was betrayed, took bread. On the evening before His crucifixion, the Lord ate with the disciples in the upper room. It's often called the Last Supper. 
The Last Supper was the Passover meal, which was required of the Jews under law, and the Lord fulfilled and kept the law perfectly. Passover was a remembrance of Israel's deliverance from their bondage in Egypt by God. But on the evening before he was crucified, after eating the Passover meal, the Lord established a new remembrance for Israel, which superseded the old one. It was to be a remembrance of an uh, even greater deliverance for Israel, deliverance from their spiritual bondage and being redeemed and set free from their sins by the cross of Christ. That was under the prophetic program and under the law. But Christ revealed to Paul that under grace, his will is that the church, the body of Christ, also remember the deliverance from our spiritual bondage by the cross through the practice of the Lord's Supper. He wants that remembrance to continue under grace. When God established the Passover, he told Moses this in Exodus 12, And it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service? That ye shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses. And the people bowed the head and worshipped. Exodus speaks of when the children of Israel would later inquisitively ask their parents, Why are we doing all this at the Passover? Why are we killing a lamb without blemish? and then roasting it and eating it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. And the Lord tells them that the parents were to explain how the Jews did this at the original Passover, and that God's judgment passed over their houses when he saw the blood from that lamb on their doorposts and did not smite their firstborn as he judged the land of Egypt. They were to tell their children that by this climactic plague in God's strong hand, he dramatically freed his people and delivered them out of their bondage in Egypt. And so it makes you think about today, under grace, when our children ask us, why are we doing this service of the Lord's Supper? Likewise, we have something to tell them. How at the cross... Christ's body was broken for us. How the Savior took all our sins on Himself and He willingly shed His blood and He died for our sins. And by God's strong hand and Christ's victorious sacrifice at the cross, He has freed us and completely delivered us from the bondage of our sins. Israel celebrated a remembrance of their deliverance from their bondage in Egypt. And the Lord's Supper is also just that, a remembrance. A remembrance of our redemption, our deliverance from sin. It's a memorial of the cross, a remembrance of sins forgiven. Exodus 12, 27 tells us that when the people of Israel received this instruction about their deliverance, they bowed their heads and worshipped. And so our hearts should be bowed and humbled, and we should worship the Lord for our deliverance by His sacrifice at the cross for us. God knows our hearts. He knows we need to be reminded. He knows we forget. And as God instituted the Lord's Supper as a remembrance for us, He did so 
for it to be a time for us to ponder, to meditate, and to thank Him for what He's done for us. He did it so that we might always keep the cross before us. 1 Corinthians 11.24 reads, And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Notice how it says that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, that he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it. The same night he was betrayed, he gave thanks. The Lord knew that Judas would betray him. John 13, 21 says, When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. With the pain of that betrayal, from one who followed the Lord his entire earthly ministry, which troubled him in his spirit, on the night he was betrayed, he still gave thanks. With the suffering of the cross before him the next day, he still gave thanks. You sometimes hear the Lord's Supper called the Eucharist, which means the giving of thanks. The words, when he had given thanks, in verse 24, is the Greek word, Eucharistio. And that is where that title originated. But like our Savior did, the same night he was betrayed and in the shadow of the cross, the Lord's Supper is about giving of thanks. It is a service of gratitude, a remembrance of a memorial of thanksgiving for our salvation. It is a grateful celebration of the forgiveness of sins and our eternal life in Christ. The Lord took the bread that was on the table for the Passover meal and He broke it. And He said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. The breaking of the bread reminds us of Christ's suffering in his physical body as he paid the price for our sins. The punishment for sin involves both suffering and death. The bread and the cup in the Lord's Supper are symbols and metaphors. The meaning of Christ's body are that the bread represents his body and the cup represents his blood. The broken bread is to remind us of Christ's broken body. The poured out juice is to remind us of the blood, blood of Christ, which was shed willingly and poured out for us at the cross in payment for our sins. It's all a picture. It's a visible sermon that proclaims the cross and all Christ did for us. And by it, it reminds us in a very personal and a very powerful way how much our Savior loves us. And notice how the Lord puts that in verse 24. This do in remembrance of me. We don't just remember an emblem. We don't just remember a wooden cross. We remember Him. We remember our Savior. We remember the one who loved us so much that His body was broken willingly for us so we might live. We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. 
If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, go to BereanBibleSociety.org. God's Meaning in Matthew is a paperback 528-page commentary written by Pastor John Fredrickson. Finally, a verse-by-verse commentary on the Gospel of Matthew written by a Mid-Acts Dispensational Viewpoint. If you've ever been reading Matthew and asked yourself, what is the meaning of this? God's meaning in Matthew is just what you've been looking for. To order your copy, contact the Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750 or visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, The Berean Searchlight, call 262-255-4750 or subscribe online at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now, back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin. John 19, 1-5 reads, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. Attempting to appease the Jews who wanted Christ to be put to death, Pilate had Christ scourged, verse 1 says. He hoped that they would accept this rather than an execution. But there is a lot of suffering and agony involved in the statement that Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. Roman scourging was designed to quickly remove the flesh from the body of a victim. The instrument used for scourging was called a flagellum. It was a piece of wood, 14 to 18 inches long. Attached to that wooden handle were two or three leather straps or lashes. Sewn in the end of those lashes were bits of metal and sometimes glass and stones. The victim was tied to a post by the wrists. The flagellum was brought all the way back. And it whistled forward and smashed against the skin, dug into it, and tore the skin. Two soldiers, one on each side, kept whipping again and again across the flanks and the back and the legs, ripping into the flesh. Arteries and veins were gashed and torn. Roman scourging often exposed the bones, sometimes tore organs. It was a brutal, bloody beating. Some died from Roman scourging. Many passed out, only to be awoken by having a bucket of salt water thrown on them. The Jews gave 40 lashes, save one. The Romans did not have a number. We do not know how many lashes they gave the Lord. We don't know how long they pounded Christ with those whips tearing and ripping his flesh. 
After the scourging, the Lord was mocked and tortured by the soldiers. They plaited or wove together a mock crown of thorns and cruelly shoved it down on his head, tearing into his scalp and brow, causing blood to flow down his face. Warren Wearsby rightly points out, Sin had brought thorns and thistles into the world, so it was only fitting that the Creator wear a crown of thorns as He bore the sins of the world on the cross. In the soldiers' mocking of Christ as a king, they arrayed Him in kingly attire, a purple robe. In Matthew it says they also gave Him a reed or a stick, in other words, a mock scepter. Then they bowed to him to pay him fake homage and said, Hail, King of the Jews. Following this, John says that they stood up and they hit the Lord in the face with closed fists. Matthew says that they took his mock scepter that reed from him and hit him on the head with it, driving the thorns deeper into his scalp. Isaiah 50, verse 6 says, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. At some point in all of this, they also grabbed handfuls of the Lord's beard and ripped it off of his face. Isaiah 52, 14 reads, As many were astonished at the His visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. His visage was so marred more than any man, having endured such excessive cruelty, viciousness, and malice. His appearance was so disfigured, so defaced, so destroyed, he scarcely retained the appearance of a human being. He was beaten beyond recognition, more than any man. And the prophet says, many were astonished at thee. In other words, to look at our Savior on that day was to be absolutely astonished. His appearance was so unspeakably awful. It was astonishing, terrible, and shocking. It was overwhelmingly horrifying. The Lord's brought back to Pilate. Pilate goes out and speaks to the crowd. And then he tells him, Behold, I bring him forth to you that ye may know that I find no fault in him. And then the Lord is brought out wearing the crown of thorns and purple robe drenched in his blood. Pilate cries out to the crowd, pointing to Christ, Behold the man. Think about him. Stand in there. Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Regarding our Lord's suffering, it's been rightly said that we need to speak less and think deeply. Seeing Christ in His terrible, beaten, and bloodied condition, Instead of being moved to pity or compassion, the chief priests and the people want it finished, and they immediately begin crying, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! And Pilate, a spineless, cowardly leader, 
gives way to the wishes of the mob, concedes to the crucifixion, and the Lord is led away to be crucified. Having carried his crossbeam as far as he was physically able, then walking the rest of the way as it was carried by Simon of Cyrene, they arrive at Golgotha. And Dr. Truman Davis wrote this about Christ's crucifixion from a medical perspective. Jesus is quickly thrown backward with his shoulders against the wood. The legionnaire feels for the depression at the front of the wrist. He drives a heavy square wrought iron nail through the wrist deep into the wood. Quickly, he moves to the other side, repeats the action, being careful not to pull the arms too tightly, but to allow some flexion and movement. The left foot is now pressed backward against the right foot, and with both feet extended, toes down, a nail is driven through the arch of each, leaving the knees moderately flexed. The victim is now crucified. As he slowly sags down, With more weight on the nails in the wrists, excruciating pain shoots along the fingers fingers, and up the arms to explode in the brain. The nails in the wrists are putting pressure on the median nerves. As he pushes himself upward to avoid this stretching torment, he places his full weight on the nail through his feet. Again, there is the searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the metatarsal bones of the feet. At this point, as the arms fatigue, great waves of cramps sweep over the muscles, knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps comes the inability to push himself upward. Hanging by his arms, the pectoral muscles are paralyzed and the intercostal muscles are unable to act. Air can be drawn into the lungs, but cannot be exhaled. Jesus fights to raise himself in order to get even one short breath. Finally, carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and in the bloodstream, and the cramps partially subside. Spasmatically, he is able to push himself upward to exhale and bring in the life-giving oxygen. Jesus experienced hours of limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-rending cramps, intermittent partial asphyxiation, searing pain where tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down against the rough timber. Like the Passover lamb, none of his bones were broken, but his body was broken in his suffering for us. His body was broken when they scourged him, and the skin burst open and was torn away. Broken when they crowned him with thorns, and those thorns sank deep into his head and brow, and they hit him across the head. Broken when they drove the nails through his hands and through his feet. Broken when they pierced his side, and the water and the blood came forth. He was broken for us. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And now he desires, as we look at the cross by faith, that we be broken for him, that we humble our hearts before him, and that we yield our lives to him. Paul Harvey told this in 1977 as part of his Rest of the Story radio program. It is gratitude that prompted an old man to visit an old broken pier on the eastern seacoast of Florida. 
Every Friday night until his death in 1973, he would return, walking slowly and slightly stooped with a large bucket of shrimp. The seagulls would flock to this old man and he would feed them from his bucket. Many years before, in October 1942, Captain Eddie Rickenbacker was on a mission in a B-17 to deliver an important message to General Douglas MacArthur in New Guinea. But there was an unexpected detour which would hurl Captain Eddie into the most harrowing adventure of his life. Somewhere over the South Pacific, the Flying Fortress became lost beyond the reach of radio. Fuel ran dangerously low, so the men ditched their plane in the ocean. For nearly a month, Captain Eddie and his companions would fight the water and the weather and the scorching sun. They spent many sleepless nights recoiling as giant sharks rammed their rafts. The largest raft was 9 by 5, the biggest shark 10 feet long. But of all their enemies at sea, one proved most formidable, starvation. Eight days out, their rations were long gone or destroyed by the salt water. It would take a miracle to sustain them, and a miracle occurred. In Captain Eddie's own words, Cherry, that was the B-17 pilot Captain William Cherry, read the service that afternoon, and we finished with a prayer for deliverance and a hymn of praise. There was some talk, but it was tapered off, but it tapered off in the oppressive heat. With my hat pulled down over my eyes to keep out some of the glare I dozed off, something landed on my head. I knew that it was a seagull. I don't know how I knew, I just knew. Everybody else knew too. No one, uh, no one said a word. But peering out from under my hat brim without moving my head, I could see the expression on their faces. They were staring at that gull. The gull meant food, if I could catch it. And the rest, as they say, is history. Captain Eddie caught the gull. Its flesh was eaten. Its intestines were used for bait to catch fish. The survivors were sustained and their hopes renewed because a lone seagull, uncharacteristically hundreds of miles from land, you know that Captain Eddie made it. And now you also know that he never forgot. Because every Friday evening about sunset on a lonely stretch along the eastern Florida seacoast, you could see an old man walking white-haired, bushy-eyebrowed, slightly bent. His bucket of shrimp was to feed the gulls. To remember that one which, on a day long past, gave itself without a struggle, like manna in the wilderness. And he never stopped saying, thank you. That's why almost every Friday night he would walk that beach, beach with a bucket full of shrimp and a heart full of gratitude. The Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for us. He gave his body to be broken for us. He shed his blood and gave his life that we may live. That we might be saved from our sins and have eternal life. And our hearts should be filled with gratitude as we think of the Lord's sacrifice for us. Christ gave thanks when he instituted the Lord's Supper. And we, too, should give thanks for his broken body. Like Captain Eddie, we should remember and never stop saying, Thank you to the Lord. And to also demonstrate that gratitude, 
by living a life that is transformed by His grace. Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.